Although it likely feels like an eternity since quarantine started roughly back in March, we haven't actually seen concrete sales data from many of the top publicly traded gaming companies. We've seen snippets of sales figures regarding specific titles, but for the most part, we haven't seen just how much of an increase gaming has seen since quarantine started. Now, it doesn't matter if we're talking about Q1 or Q2, as some companies structure their fiscal year differently. Some start January 1st and others start their fiscal year on April 1st. The important thing is that we're going to be able to finally see a solid quarter of sales data that encapsulates gaming during quarantine for the period of April until the end of June. Before looking into any of the specifics, it's safe to assume that gaming has seen a massive surge based on a few key indicators we've seen at this point. As a matter of fact, you could extrapolate something from each of the big three as an indicator of the times. Now, when looking at Nintendo, although they've been fairly quiet in announcing their second half 2020 plans, we've seen sales figures on Animal Crossing go through the roof. And on top of that, Ring Fit Adventure was extremely hard to find to the point that it was selling for basically double on the used market and trying to find a new Switch or Switch Lite during quarantine at retail has been quite challenging. Although it trip recently to a local department store shows some stock, which makes me think that Nintendo is back on it. When looking at PlayStation, they've released first-party entries to record success, with The Last of Us Part II selling more than 4 million copies in its first week, according to the PlayStation blog, and Ghost of Tsushima selling 2.4 million copies in its first three days, which is setting a record for a new Sony PS4 IP. Not to mention that Sony has recently announced at their quarterly earnings that they've sold 112 million PS4 consoles. Microsoft is fairly tighter-lipped when it comes to sales figures this generation, but recently on the same Brain podcast, Phil Spencer said that since March, 270 million new friend connections have been made on Xbox Live. This is all pretty staggering data, especially when you consider that sales are usually down during a console launch year as many people are saving up for their new next generation experience. This week, many of the large publicly traded video game companies announced their earnings, which is great to get hard evidence on how quarantine has affected gaming, but this is also sometimes the place where companies need to keep investors happy with projections and announcements. And sometimes, these announcements are specific and other times you can deduce information from the words that are said or unsaid. This week on the Video Games Podcast, we thought a closer look at Activision Blizzard, Take-Two, and Nintendo made sense to see how much gaming has increased and see if we can figure out anything about their futures. Looking back on my initial assessment of the Activision stock, things were near the lowest that they had been since 2016 before the stock started its ascension. Since then, Activision had reached an all-time high, and this comes despite of, and possibly due to, COVID-19. Activision has over doubled since March 2019, but what has caused this constant success? How has the company fared so far during the pandemic, and what is the company's outlook going forward? Call of Duty is, and forever will be, the double-edged sword in the portfolio of Activision. When things are going well, then it's fantastic, but if things start to slump, then it's hard for the whole company not to feel the effects. Looking back slightly over a year when the stock price was at its lowest in years, the fatigue had not only set in on this series, but it seemed like other people were now starting to eat its lunch. The Battle Royale genre was in full swing with Fortnite and PUBG near the top, and although Treyarch did their best in a short time frame with Blackout, it failed to catch on with the same level of success as the others. Even the new kid on the block, Ape 
Apex Legends from Respawn was able to get a foot in the door and carve out a large portion for itself. Call of Duty has always seen massive success during the launch window, but has always had trouble remaining relevant until the next release. Call of Duty Modern Warfare not only helped reboot the series with an engine overhaul the series needed badly, but it also waited until early March to release a standalone free-to-play and cross-play battle royale to help entice new people back to the series and keep the core audience engaged. In the first 24 hours of availability, the standalone Warzone was downloaded 6 million times and not to spoil the earnings report, but has been downloaded by over 75 million users. So how does the success of Call of Duty and Warzone translate to success for Activision? Overall, Activision announced record results for a second quarter, including revenue of $1.93 billion, which is well over the projected $1.69 billion. Activision understands that the main component behind these record-breaking numbers is the year-on-year growth from the Call of Duty franchise. In the second quarter alone, and not including the period that Warzone launched, hours played in Modern Warfare increased eightfold year-on-year with combined new and existing players. As mentioned, Call of Duty has always been big about launch periods, but this past quarter, the series was able to add more players than ever before for the series outside of the launch window. Lastly, on the topic of Call of Duty, many people have wondered why we hadn't heard about the latest upcoming installment in the series, which we normally hear about during the NBA playoffs, which usually happen around May. Obviously, this year is different. During the earnings call, we got an official statement that the next entry in the series will be a joint effort from Treyarch and Raven, which aligns with the reports that Sledgehammer and their iteration wasn't coming together as intended. This will officially break the three-studio rotation that has been in place for many years now. The other major titles that can be officially expected from the Activision side of development is the Tony Hawk 1 and 2 remakes that are currently being handled by Vicarious Visions and Crash Bandicoot 4 from Toys for Bob. Over on the Blizzard side of things, the main driver behind the studio's success was World of Warcraft, which saw reach and engagement increase again quarter on quarter, and according to the report, shelter-at-home conditions further boosted the franchise's strong trajectory. Looking ahead for Blizzard, they will mostly plan to expand on their existing games with a new expansion for WoW and Q4, and expansions in the upcoming quarters for Hearthstone. New information regarding Diablo Immortal going into company-wide playtesting in the coming weeks bodes well for a decent full release or public beta of the mobile game this fiscal year. Not only are sales up, but total costs and expenses are greatly down, leading to a much better net income. In the first half of the fiscal year, net income is almost $1.1 billion, which is up from the same period in 2019 from $774 million, which is an almost increase of 40%. It's not all good news, though, as this week Bloomberg ran a story regarding unfair salaries at Blizzard based on an anonymous document that circulated as a revolt against the Irvine, California-based company. The story is well worth a read, but there are some sad tales about people using the office coffee as an appetite suppressant, employees deciding that they can't afford to have children, and people skipping lunches with employees because they can't afford the meal. Now, all of these stories come as a juxtaposition of the top brass salaries with the CEO making $40 million and Activision as a company announcing record-setting sales figures, what seems like almost every quarter now. Looking forward, I think Activision will continue to see great success, largely in part due to Call of Duty hitting its stride again, WoW getting engagement numbers up again, and Shelter in Place continuing indefinitely. Although, I think Blizzard has a human resource issue on their hands that is hurting and will continue to hurt the company's goodwill with gamers. 
Take-Two Interactive is basically Rockstar Games and 2K and that is more than enough for this company. They have evolved Grand Theft Auto from a single player game to an evergreen franchise that has been constantly dominating the sales charts and acting as the engine behind the stock growth. As it stands, Take-Two share price is at an all-time high. Even before the quarantine struck, Take-Two was on a gradual upswing and had been for nearly 10 years around March. Take-Two was valued at around 130 per share. Now, since quarantine, the share price of Take-Two has nearly increased 50% as it currently floats around 180 per share. Without even digging into the earnings report, it's a safe assumption to say that things are going very well for the business of Take-Two. Take-Two has also been a recent company up for debate as they were the first and so far only to my knowledge to announce a higher price for the next generation at $10 more. As expected, during the first quarter, Take-Two saw their net revenue grow 54% to $831 million, which is a first quarter record for the company, and setting a record for a first quarter is quite impressive, especially when you don't have any newly released marquee titles and when you are the company that has Grand Theft Auto in your portfolio. That's not as impressive as the numbers get for Take-Two as they saw their digital net revenue increase 70%, which accounted for 87% of their total business. Now, this massive increase in digital revenue, as expected during sheltering at home, increased net income 91%. Sheltering at home has caused gamers to fast forward on their preference between digital and physical, and it's not hard to see why GameStop and physical media is dying as companies can keep a lot more of their profits if there are less people involved during the process. CEO Strauss Zelnick said our extraordinary results were driven primarily by the outperformance of NBA 2K20, Grand Theft Auto 5, Grand Theft Auto Online, Red Dead Redemption 2, Red Dead Online, and Social Points mobile games. As a result, our better than expected first quarter operating results, we are raising our fiscal 2021 outlook, which is poised to be another great year for Take Two. So as it clearly shows, this company doesn't need a lot of different games to be extremely profitable. After the pricing of NBA 2K21 was revealed to be higher, it felt like a given that this generation would mark a shift in pricing for the first time since 2005 when games went from $49 to $59. However, not all in the industry were as quick to accept the pricing as some companies like Ubisoft announced that their next-gen pricing would stay the same. Now, I personally think that Ubisoft would have liked to have raised their prices as well, but due to the bad publicity that they have received recently about their workplace environment, they decided to keep the pricing in the same vein in a pro-consumer move. Now, I would say with confidence that within a year of next-gen launch, Ubisoft will follow suit and raise their prices to 70 as well. During an interview with GamesIndustry.biz, Strauss Zelnick was asked about the pricing hike across the industry, and he said, We just speak for ourselves. Obviously, we don't speak for the industry, and the industry naturally does not coordinate on these matters. To say the very least, the pricing has to reflect the quality of the experience, and we aim to provide the best experience in the business. And from our point of view, it's an extremely modest price change given that prices haven't changed for a very long time. Looking ahead, it's pretty safe to assume that we will see Grand Theft Auto 6 at some point, which will likely be a cash cow for another decade, on top of existing players of Grand Theft Auto 5 who didn't upgrade on the live service side, and that's not even considering the actual sales each copy will make during the initial year. 
On the 2K side of things, NBA 2K has established itself as a top-tier basketball game, microtransactions notwithstanding, but we've also seen 2K try to expand their sports portfolio with the recent announcement of the resurrection of 2K football, which last made an entry in 2005 when Madden acquired the NFL exclusive rights. Now, speaking of rights, 2K has also acquired the rights to use PGA as they have rebranded the golf club from HB and is now packaging that as PGA Tour 2K21, which is a great idea as that will likely attract more consumers to the title than golf club would have. This series looks to be in its infancy and I think an influx of gamers and cash is likely to improve the series and attract more buyers each iteration. As mentioned at the start, this is a company that doesn't need to do much other than to treat their golden gooses properly. Moving forward, Take-Two still expects a strong second quarter, which runs until the end of September, as they mentioned the continuing benefit from sheltering at home, which we've factored into our Q2, but have not yet factored into the back half of the fiscal year. Nintendo gave us an early indication that sales were thriving at the early onset of the quarantine. We saw Animal Crossing New Horizon become a cultural zeitgeist that not only sold over 10 million copies in less than two weeks before the end of the fiscal year, but broke into mainstream pop culture. We also saw stories of the Switch along with the Switch Lite being sold out at all retailers, and we also saw Ring Fit Adventure become the Tickle Me Elmo circa 1997. What everyone wanted and needed during these trying times was comfort food in the form of gaming, and there's no better option than the nostalgia-infused console from Nintendo that features familiar faces and is accessible to almost everyone. The big question is would things normalize once Nintendo was able to get on top of their constrained supply chain issues, or are we just looking at the tip of the iceberg? There are plenty of numbers to dig into in their earnings report that can help emphasize the fact that sales remain strong through the quarter, but nothing other than their net profit jumping over 540% versus the same time period the year earlier. But digging into the numbers, we can see that net sales were only up a little over 100, which is great news, but how are the profits so much higher than the sales? Nintendo attributes this massive surge in operating profit thanks to what they call an increase in digital sales and a decreased ratio of selling, general, and administrative expenses. Digital sales accounted for 101 billion yen, which is half of what Nintendo made on digital sales in the entire previous fiscal year, or a 229% increase. In terms of what software was selling, Animal Crossing managed to sell close to another 11 million units, which brings it to almost 23 million units sold, making it the second best-selling Switch game since launch, just behind Mario Kart 8 Deluxe and just ahead of Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Six other first-party titles managed to sell over a million, including the aforementioned Mario Kart 8 and Smash, as well as Ring Fit, Breath of the Wild, Xenoblade Chronicles, and the newly released Clubhouse Games 51. In a glass half-full situation, Nintendo's mobile game sector saw sales rise 32.7%, and this is great and brought the total sales in the quarter up to 13.2 billion yen. However, looking at the glass half-empty, total sales for the quarter were 358 billion yen, which means that mobile didn't even account for half a percent of their total sales of the quarter. Now, off the top of my head, I don't think that Nintendo released any new mobile titles this past quarter, but the point of mobile is to hook people in and keep them in the ecosystem spending. After looking at Activision's financials, we can see that Candy Crush is still dominating the market as the top grossing app. Nintendo tried multiple variations on mobile pricing strategy but failed to break through in a large way. 
I feel that it could be the time, if they haven't already, to stop funneling resources into mobile and focus them elsewhere in the company. Forecasting the year ahead, Nintendo expects slightly lower figures than fiscal year 20, which ended with an Animal Crossing boom. Nintendo is expecting to sell 19 million units of hardware compared to 21 million it sold in the previous fiscal year, and 140 million units of software compared to 168 million units. And trying to figure out what this means for the rest of the fiscal year, Nintendo either thinks that shelter-in-place will continue and the sales of Switch will stay steady, or they have some system sellers coming out between now and March 31st, 2021. I mention this because even during a quarter which saw their sales spike, they are still only projecting quarter one to account for 29% of total hardware sales for the year. Switch sales during quarter one came in at 5.51 and bring the total Switch sales to 61.44 million, meaning that any day, if not already, it will surpass the total sales of the SNES. So how are they planning to sell 19 million units this fiscal year? Cadence of Hyrule and Pikmin 3 won't move hardware, and since those were the only two first-party games with concrete details, this has to mean that we will be getting something big. I can certainly understand how many gamers have been displeased with Nintendo so far this year. If you aren't a fan of Animal Crossing or Paper Mario, then things might feel a little dry so far in 2020, and looking ahead, they don't look much better. I fully expect Nintendo would have some major titles out this fall, but as of right now, we're still in the dark. On top of this, we haven't had a full Nintendo Direct since September of 2019, and we haven't seen a mini retro console from Nintendo in almost three years. And SNES online games have come to a drip feed, although the majority of games that you would want to play actually did launch with the service. Given the year that 2020 has been so far, it's inevitable that we will eventually get another full Nintendo Direct. Coming up on the two-year anniversary of Nintendo Switch Online, will we see anything new added to entice new users and keep existing ones? Next on the agenda for both Retro Console and Nintendo Switch Online is likely the Nintendo 64, which makes it unlikely that it will be both. I assume we will still get a big first-party title from Nintendo this fall, and hopefully that comes in the form of the speculated 35th anniversary of Mario. However, if all we get is what we know about right now, then I have to trust in the judgment of Nintendo as they are clearly doing something right based on this earnings report. Looking ahead, there are still many areas of opportunity for the company that I see, including a Switch Pro, increased digital sales, their theme parks being open, toys, and much more. That's going to be all for the Video Games Podcast this week. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. There's nothing much else to talk about this week, so please be nice to your fellow gamer, and more importantly, be nice to your fellow human. Thank you.